Hey everyone, Ray here. So this is the fourth and final part of our interview with James Schoen, discussing the history of Taiwan during the Cold War. Last time, we left off with the son of Chiang Kai-shek, who was now in charge of security on Taiwan, practically inviting the CIA in, hoping that would keep the communists out. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev teared down this. If y'all want to talk about the Korean War some more, we can, but I did want to uh, bring up something that happens right after the Korean War when the CCP starts shelling some of the islands just off the mainland near Formosa, and this is September 3rd of 1954, and so the the Taiwan Strait crisis. And so it looks like they're – are they testing the waters or are they just um, rattling their sabers or whatever? But it does certainly get the Americans and the Taiwanese attention when the shelling starts. Mm. Well, I don't think we – uh, sorry, I, I don't think we want to get too okay, far ahead sorry. of ourselves here. Yeah, I, I like, get it, that out. In terms well, we, of, we don't have to jump ahead to that point, but we, we, it would be nice to mention the islands themselves. Okay. So they, um, there are two groups of islands that – okay, there are a few groups of islands, but there are two groups that are close to the Chinese mainland mm-hmm. that are controlled by Taiwan. Right across from Taiwan is Fujian province. Mm-hmm. And – there's an area that's it's it's like a natural harbor, but it's much much larger. If you go in, you actually find mini harbors throughout it. Right. In this area are the Kinmen Islands, and the Kinmen Islands are controlled by Taiwan. And yet, standing on the Kinmen Islands, you can see the mainland. I mean, it's it's that close. Mm-hmm. It's right off the coast of China. So the fact that Taiwan still controls it is a bit weird. And what they used to do is they had this huge white wall and they would sometimes, uh, I think they, I don't know if they changed it or if they just put one message up on the wall, but it was basically an insult to the mainland. So if the mainland got their telescopes out and looked, they would read this. And it said something like, you know, keep your gun under your pillow or keep your sword under your pillow. Right. Basically saying we could attack at any moment. Don't get comfortable. Mm. <laughs> and those are the Kinmen Islands. And then further north, going up, you know, past Shanghai kind of way, they are the Matsu Islands. And these two groups of islands, Taiwan controls, and is the only part of mainland China that the Guomindang still controls. Right. Now, during the time when they started shelling them, the American government was like, hey, Taiwan, look, you, you don't need those islands. They're very hard to defend. You've got a huge garrison there. Just give them up. But the Guomindang were like, look, we are China. If we give up our only <laughs> hold we still have on the mainland, oh. then we are just invaders on Taiwan. We are not the legitimate government of Taiwan anymore, uh, of China anymore. Mm-hmm. We are just this kicked out group in exile who have colonized another group, another people. So they had to hold on to those islands to show that they were still China. They gotcha. did give up a few of the Matsu Islands, a few of the less defendable ones. But to this day, they still hold well, that them. Well, that sort of makes sense. That it kind of leads me, I, I think it's time we transition into the current situation. Mm-hmm. 
I think we've done nearly two hours uh, on the history, James, and I appreciate that. It's a good good drill down, but I think we should get stuck into the how Taiwan views itself today, how China views Taiwan, and how the international community uh, views Taiwan. Everyone okay with that? Oh yeah, yeah, Cheryl. Okay, she's good. Well, let, let's start with China, <laughs> the big boy. China says that Taiwan is a province in rebellion. They were one of the groups that sort of broke away and tried to be in rebellion, starting with the the, uh, civil war. They are still in rebellion, but they are part of Chinese territory. And at some point, they're going to have to admit that and either willingly join us, or if needs be, we will use force, whether to bring them in or to stop other people from taking them. And they have it in their... I don't know if it's in the constitution or in their legal um, system. If Taiwan officially declares independence, they're obliged to invade. Wow. Right. So the safest thing for Taiwan is to not declare independence. And Taiwan only has about 13 countries that recognize it as a country. One of them, oddly enough, being the Vatican of all places. Yeah, I've got a list. I got a list of the countries so to give people perspective. These are the countries that recognize Taiwan as a sovereign country as of today. Guatemala, Honduras, Haiti, Paraguay, Nicaragua, Eswatini, Tuvalu, Nauru, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which is one of my favorite <laughs> bands from the 80s, St. Kitts and Nevis, my other favorite band from the 80s, St. Lucia, the Marshall Islands, Palau, and... The- the uh, Vatican City, the Holy See. Mm. So uh, no major uh, country, um, uh, you know, forgive me, Nicaragua and and Guatemala, (laughs) but Paraguay, no (laughs) no major country really in the world, uh, major economy, let's put it that way, recognises Taiwan as a sovereign country today, not even the United States, which might surprise some people. Mm. And there's a very particular reason for that. China has set it up that if you recognize Taiwan, you have no economic dealings at all with China. So if you recognize Taiwan, China is blocked out from you entirely. Nothing to do with your economy will ever connect with that country. But if you connect with China, you must not recognize Taiwan, even if you have on the side dealings. So Taiwan is full of essentially embassies from countries, mm-hmm. but none of them can be called embassies mm. except from the countries that recognize it. So you have uh, liaison offices, you have trade offices, you right. have centers for economic enrichment, you have all these weird euphemisms that they call that sort of act as embassies but cannot hold the official title and their leaders can't be called ambassadors. Yeah, the, the American one is called the American Institute of Taiwan. Mm. Mm. Sounds nice. Yeah, the South mm. one, South African one is a liaison office. Gotcha. And mm. China is also, I mean, China is colonizing the world like Europe did. But what Europe did after it gave up its empires was maintain one-sided, very favorable trade deals where they get all the rich resources and they sell mm. back made products to those countries and the home country gets richer. China goes around saying, hey, look, we'll invest in your country and we'll build up what you need to. We'll send our people in, but they're going to import all the resources to build it from China, so the money goes to Chinese companies. 
and 200 of them you're going to give citizenship to at the end of it. Oh, wow. Yes, so they, what I refer to as the Chinese, the, the Chinese Marshall Plan because right. it's yeah. essentially exactly what the Marshall Plan uh, yeah, was. Yeah, using their in economic might to have it their way. Well, it was no, it was the same deal. It was like we're not actually going to give you money. <laughs> like, I, think a, I think a lot of Americans right. think the Marshall Plan was – some sort of aid program. It wasn't an aid program. It was a line of credit program. We're going to give you a line of credit that you can spend on American products and American expertise and that kind of stuff. But the conditions are, A, you need to spend, it was something like 70 or 80% of it on American goods and services. Mm -hmm. And the other condition was you had to kick all of the communists out of your country, arrest them, keep them out. You can't have any communists anywhere near this money that we're giving you. Don't let them, yeah. Well, yes. Oh, God. And now the Americans are all crying, oh, this one road, one belt, this is corrupt. They're just buying... They're buying loyalty around the world. How? What? I'm shocked, I tell you. Shocked and stuck. How how dare they? It's just they learned from you, guys. That's how you did it. That's how they do it. Well, I mean, in my own life, I've noticed this change. When I was first here, if I went home to visit South Africa, I could take Taiwan dollars, go home, and change them for South African rands. Mm -hmm. Now I can't. Mm. Our government has not allowed Taiwan dollars anymore because of pressure from China. So now mm. I have to change it into another currency like euros or dollars or pounds or something and then go back and change it again and lose money twice. Wow. Mm. And that's just it's like going to Cuba used to be. Yeah. <laughs> but but let, let me just – let me just throw something into the mix because I know we still got to talk about you know uh, the different points of view and I get all that. But one thing that I wanted to put into the mix was um, – and I learned – this is going to sound cheesy, but I learned this re- reading James Clavel novels. Um, obviously, they can't go to war because if they go to war, uh, Taiwan doesn't stand a chance. It's just – I mean as far as I know, you can tell me differently, but it, it wouldn't go – it wouldn't go well. Um, but Taiwan doesn't really have to win – if there's no battle, they just have to keep not being occupied or bowled over mm. by China. You know, it's like the uh, what's that old saying? Um, Give them all soup, but no fish. And so they don't have to win. They just have to keep not antagonizing the mainland too much to cause trouble for themselves. Because this can stretch out for another <laughs> yeah. 50 years. Well... The Gormandung today are not who they were at the beginning. At the beginning, they mm-hmm. were this one-party dictatorship. Right. It has changed over time. There are other political parties now, Good. and the Gormandung is now just one. It's one of the main ones, but for the last few elections, the DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party, has been in charge. Mm. And it used to be Gormandung supporters were pro, we are Chinese as our identity, right. and we deserve to control the mainland. We should one day eventually go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and opposition parties were like, nah, shut up. We're independent. We're our own people. Right. Now, as it's going on, it's becoming less politically divided and more generationally divided. Oh. More of the older generations see themselves still as Chinese, whereas more of the younger generations see themselves as independent. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, if you ask the indigenous people, they see everyone as invaders. Right. Go, oh, the Japanese are invaders, the Chinese yeah. are invaders, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Sp- they're all invaders. All they can all get out. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah. 
Well, I just want to go back on the history of it. So the, the when we're looking at the international position and some of the legal issues surrounding it, my understanding is that because Taiwan was ceded to Japan legitimately at the end of the war in the late um, 1800s, after World War II, it was up to Japan uh, to determine who they were going to give the island to, in a way, because yeah. they were the legitimate owners. It hadn't been taken necessarily. They hadn't invaded it. It was nope. given to them as part of the, the treaty at the end of the war. So in 1952, there were two treaties, the Treaty of San Francisco and the Treaty of Taipei that came into force where Japan formally renounced all claim and title to Taiwan mm-hmm. and renounced all of the treaties that they'd signed with China before the war. But neither treaty really was very clear on who it was going to be turned over to because, of course, you had the Republic of China declared by the Kuomintang. They, they, they thought they were the, the sole owners of all China and the PRC that declared they were the, le- the only legal government of China. So the Japanese just said, oh, we're giving it back to China. And, and everyone went, which one? And they were like, eh, I don't know. Uh, actually, you know. it's slightly yeah. more complicated than that. They didn't surrender it to China. They just renounced their claim of Taiwan. Oh. And didn't direct right. anyone. Yeah. So right. the, the Taiwan status still remains undefined. Wow. Right. Wow. Not my problem. My name's Paul, and this is between y'all, they said, and they walked away. So then the the United States passed some legislation uh, in the 50s, the Sino-American Mutual Defence Treaty, and then the Formosa Resolution of 1955. The Sino-American Mutual Defence Treaty, which is between the United States of America and the Republic of China, was a defence pact that was effective from 1955 through to 1980, mm-hmm. basically getting back to what we said before during the Korean War, they were like, okay, we will defend the island of Taiwan from invasion by the People's Republic of China. Some of that content was then carried over into a new piece of legislation in 1979, the Taiwan Relations Act, the TRA. And the TRA is interesting because it acknowledges Beijing's claim to Taiwan but doesn't recognise Beijing's claim to Taiwan. Right. And basically considers Taiwan's status undetermined. There have been two versions of that, obviously, because you had to have one in Chinese and one in English. Mm. And the wording is subtly different in the two. They both say that people in mainland China and on Taiwan, Chinese on both sides of the strait, claim that there is one China and that Taiwan is part of it. Then in the Chinese version, it says, America agrees to this. And in the English version, it just says that America recognizes this, as in they recognize that people claim this, but they're not actually agreeing to it. Yeah. So... Whenever there's a confrontation, Chinese hold yeah. their thing and say, look, you agree to this. And they're like, oh, no, that's not what our <laughs> piece of paper says. <laughs> Ours is worded differently. Yeah. It's like, well, why did you change the wording of it then? <laughs> and it, 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 we're not entirely sure which and, version is correct or original. Or... Right. 
Well, and in the phrase of uh, Henry Kissinger, uh, he calls this uh, the you know the U.S. position on Taiwan constructive ambiguity. Which episode? Yeah, I, well, I, it reminds me of you know Stalin's position on the Alta Conference. Yeah, uh, like we, let's just not be too clear yeah. on that, and then we'll get to it later. Yeah. I'm sure that's what we'll Kissinger said. Details like, uh, well, 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 later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll work out the details later. <laughs> no, no, next week. Next week, I'm sure we'll all sit down and we'll figure right. that out. He said in 1979. But, but that brings me to another point because and uh, and. Um, you can you can bring up all these stories about these pieces of papers, these documents. Um, are they null and void now? Should they be? You know, this has been going on at least since 1895 when the Japanese took over. Would it be fair to say that all these pieces of paper really don't matter? The two sides have their positions. They don't. They can't compromise. They won't compromise. And so, pieces of paper really aren't going to change everything. It's it's just going to come down to, I guess, either eventually the mainland makes a move or it doesn't. But going back to what you said a second ago, as more time goes by and more people that are older die off, and you've got these younger people seeing themselves as independent, isn't that even more risky for the Communist Party? Wouldn't that motivate them to try to resolve this sooner? rather than later when all of the older people are no longer there? Uh, that's also possible. But conversely, you also mm-hmm. have the problem of the generation, the younger generation now is a lot more, um, you know, let's, let's jump on the bandwagon of whatever social movement is going and argue with it. Right. And the louder Taiwan gets about, we want to be independent, the more they're going to get threats from China. Ah, uh, yeah. So the louder they are about, we are independent, leave us alone the more China's going to be like, okay, let's grease up the tanks and uh, right. get ready. It's a tightrope, tightrope. Yeah, it is. But also, like if I'm, if I'm China right now, I'm like, okay, what's, what's been my number one obstacle taking Taiwan for the last 70 mm-hmm. years? The USA. The United probably. States. Yeah. <laughs> right. If I look in my crystal ball as to what's going to happen over the next 50 years, uh, how? Which is going? Which country is going to be the most powerful economy and uh, military yeah. in the world fifty years from now? It ain't going to be the United States. It's going to be right. China, by mm. most estimates. Right? Uh, the United States is rapid, rapidly unraveling as a society. Uh, the point is, there's going to be a point in time where two things are going to happen. One, one or both of these things. The United States isn't going to have the wherewithal or the give a fuck factor to support some tiny little island a million miles away. Right. Secondly, uh, at some point, this modern generation of Taiwanese are going to look and say to themselves, uh, a bit like Chen Yi did, uh, which side do I really want to be on moving forwards? Do I want to be on the side of the country that's exploding? Uh, imploding as a nation and uh, going into another civil war and killing each other? Or do I want to, and as a declining economic and military power, or do I want to be on the side of the country that's uh, becoming the the most powerful country on the planet? You know, I think it's going to be a fairly easy decision for a lot of them to make uh, over time as the US continues to implode but so I think if I was China I was taking a long view that's what mm. I would see coming like why 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 invade 
and set off a thing now yeah. and hundreds of thousands of people or more are going to die and there's going to be all this and it's going to it's going to impact on trade right. and you know it's going to it's going to slow down our rise yeah we just wait it out man as james said before 100 years 200 years doesn't matter so good we're going to win in the end yeah. if we just if we just you know wait right well i think the only reason china would go to war is if they are pushed into war mm-hmm. and the question is would it be better for America to try push them into a war in the next, say, 10 years, one that they could potentially win as opposed to waiting 50 mm. years when they're definitely going to lose? Wow. That's yeah, scary. That's a good point. That is the scary And it's the same thing with Russia yeah. Russia and the Ukraine at the moment. I mean, they're being, as their view, anyway, Ray and I are going to do a bullshit filter on this next week, I think, but oh, Russia's man. view is we're being pushed in. We're only going to invade if we're pushed into it. You keep trying to put missiles in Ukraine, NATO, US, NATO, we have to do something. You're putting missiles on our border. We're going to have to react at some point. We just can't sit here forever while you surround us with missiles. We don't want to invade, but if you're going to force our hand like you did in Afghanistan, then we we didn't learn from that. We are going to uh, get involved. We're going to be forced to do it again. Yeah, rush. Russian (laughs) right back in. Is that what you said? We're rushing in. (laughs) Yeah. Russians rush in where angels fear to tread. Um, getting back to the, the the legal and diplomatic status here. So the US passed this thing called the Formosa Resolution in 1955, you know, as Ray started to talk about uh, earlier. There was a, a little bit of a, a, a tussle between China and Taiwan, 1954 to 1955, the Taiwan Strait Crisis, brief period of armed conflict. <clears throat> After that, um, Eisenhower had this uh, Formosa resolution passed, uh, which basically said that the US president had the authority to employ armed forces as he deemed necessary Mm. to protect Formosa. Um, So that's in place. But the the ROC, uh, the, the Guomindang, as I understand it, still believes that it is the one true, uh, you know, ring. There can be only Pure one. Uh, yeah, they are They are the people who really are the, 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 even though they don't talk about it much anymore, they uh, still believe that China, all of China belongs to them. Is that yeah, your understanding? That, that political group and certain families within that group definitely still see themselves as Chinese more than Taiwanese. And on top of that, they see themselves as we are the legitimate government or should be the legitimate government. And uh, culturally and spiritually, we are the Chinese people. It's a little bit like the um, great, 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 great grandson of Napoleon's brother who still believes that he's the true emperor of France. And any day now, any day, any day is going to rise up. Or or like the Americans, the Trump supporters who believe that – one of the Kennedy kids is going to come back to life and uh, usher in <laughs> Donald Trump as the oh one true king of the United States. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. let's talk about the United Nations. Now, the ROC was a member of the United Nations. Founding member. Uh, for a, yeah, for, for decades. Mm-hmm. But yeah, up until the in 19, yeah, well, up until 1971. Hmm. when they were kicked out of the UN and replaced with the PRC. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. They now, said, look, we're going to take the seat from China and give it to the PRC, uh, the, the CCP. You can't keep it. Right. But they would offer them a Taiwan seat, and they felt this as a slap in the face. They didn't want to lose face, and they knew that when China came in, they would be kicked out. So they left the day before. Yeah. So we were talking about um, before you disappeared, the UN kicking China out. So. My understanding is that one of the drivers of this in 1971 was that uh, uh, Nixon and Kissinger saw an opportunity here to uh, align themselves more closely with the CCP, uh, who were at that stage a common adversary of the Soviet Union. So is that the basic thing that... Mm -hmm. um, drove this happening? Yeah, it seemed like they were trying to put more of a wedge between China and Russia to get them more at odds with each other. And it was also a way mm. to try and open up more trade with China because China forever has tried to keep its borders very closed. I mean, there was a <laughs> one point back in the day when part of the coastline was completely evacuated so no one could actually come in and trade things. It would mm. just be left empty wow. except for mm. like military leave us alone mm. yeah yeah so getting more connections into china rather than just through somewhere like hong kong and macau mm. if they could get more ports open and more trade going there could be a lot more money made that way mm. and doing that with china mm. rather than russia also meant that they could get china more on their side and make russia more suspicious of china mm. so yeah and of course multiple ways it could help them if if they could get it working it was that decision which um, is, is largely responsible for China's economic might today and now the US is like, oh, fuck, what did we do? Shit. Can we go back and, <laughs> and undo that? Yeah, but Russia was, Russia was the bigger bad guy. We thought we were being clever by trying to divide these two communist countries. So it came back and yeah, like, and, and seriously, what are they going right. to do, the Chinese, if we start trading with them? How much, you know, how well could that possibly go for them? We're, we'll win this, uh, we'll win this arrangement. <laughs> we make everything. Now, yeah, yeah China doesn't now, make well, everything. Well, well, it's a, oh, I was going to say, it's, it's a bit like the early days of America. All the new technological mm. advancements were being made in Europe. But all the production was happening in America, and America was making a lot of money from it. Now they've reversed oh, it where right. all the cheap production is being done in China, but that gave them the excuse to build up all these huge industries. And now, over the last few decades, they've been turning them into, instead of mass-producing cheap crap, into mass-producing high-quality <laughs> items. And that's mm. the transition that Japan and Taiwan were able to do mm -hmm. with all the support from the USA. Mm. Now China's trying to do that to catch up and mm. compete with them on the world stage. Mm. And America's like, we, we, we've got to slow this down, otherwise we're going to lose all of our power. Yeah. The difference right. being... Because we're not the ones making things anymore. Japan and Taiwan mm. did it yeah. with massive US military bases on their territories to keep them in check uh, in case they got uh, a little bit too big for their mm -hmm. boots. <laughs> they how don't have any military American bases troops, in China. <laughs> how, how many military American military personnel are in Taiwan? Do we just have advisors or... I can't imagine. I don't even know. You pulled um, them out a little while ago. I'm not actually sure at the moment. Okay. I don't know if they're right. officially allowed to have soldiers who would get actively involved in fighting. Uh, I know that they okay. quite often get people here to help train. Right. 
but I, I don't know numbers at present. That That's something I'd have to look yep. up. Okay. Yeah, my understanding is you, oh, you no pulled worries. them all out some time ago officially, but you know you have a you have a lot of uh, you know sell a lot of whoops you sell a lot of weapons or the US sells a lot of weapons to them and has them you know very yes. much a bit like Israel has them very much as you know they're they're a, basically a remote state of the US. Um, Taiwan is the US's mm. 11th largest trading partner, the world's 22nd largest economy plays an important role in Silicon Valley's mm-hmm. supply chain. 23 million Taiwanese citizens can travel the world on their Taiwanese passports, and yet wow. they're not officially recognised as an independent country by the vast <laughs> majority of the world. It's complicated. Mm. Yeah, one of the biggest industries for that is the semiconductor industry. And as there's a global shortage, oh, people yes. really need their semiconductors. They make some of the highest quality And China obviously wants that, but Mm, if China invades, they run the risk of damaging it. So that's why they want Taiwan to just surrender to them. Yeah. But the main company that's producing that, the Taiwan Manufacturing Semiconductor Company, TMSC, is currently setting up another branch in Arizona. Yep. Oh, wow. And that's apparently going to be ready by 2024, 2025. Right. So this this island economically is kicking ass. I, I imagine they have what educated people working very hard, but that's those are some impressive numbers uh, for an island. With all due respect, it it is. And the other problem with a war is that it will interrupt that semiconductor supply line, uh, supply lines, and neither China nor Taiwan can allow the other one to fully control the island because then they will completely lose out. This is literally Which is another the, reason on why the they're balancing like, on the edge of a sword. Sorry, yeah. But once America has their own conductor plant set up, they can be a bit right. more risky with Taiwan, which is not good for Taiwanese people. Mm. Right. So just getting back to the official status, so my understanding is the official name for Taiwan is still the Republic of China, and according to the current constitution, the definition of the Republic of China territory still includes mainland China. So it, it, it's not like they're like, hey, we're just a tiny little island. We just want to do our own thing. Leave us alone. They have a constitution. Yeah, they, they still believe that they are the legitimate rulers, as I said before. Now, the 1972 Shanghai Communique, uh, which was a document signed by the U.S., U.S. vaguely stated that it acknowledged all Chinese on either side of the Taiwan Strait maintain there is but one China and that Taiwan is a part mm. of China, which is nice and vague because yeah. it doesn't – like everyone agrees on that, yes, but no one agrees who that one China really is, <laughs> who really is the uh, government of that one China. Um so where does where does that right. leave us all today uh, legally? We've talked about sort of the interests that both sides have and the mm-hmm. uh, you know the international political status of Taiwan, which is constructively ambiguous, mm-hmm. as Kissinger said. But legally, where does it stand? If you look at all of these international documents we mentioned earlier, the Cairo Declaration, the Potsdam Declaration, and the Japanese Instrument of Surrender, if we look at all of those, it's kind of a little bit difficult still to figure out where it falls. I mean, um, 
I, I, we had a um, – I did a Bullshit Filter episode uh, with a, an Australian guy, um, Liam Bussell, a while back. He lived in Hong Kong for a long time. He's just moved back to Australia. But he was – and he's kind of anti, anti-CCP. He was trying to push the argument that, well, if the Taiwanese people decide that they should have self-rule, then they just should because, you know, uh, it's like possession is nine-tenths of the law kind of an argument. But if you look at it from an actual tell that to Hong Kong, yeah, well, exactly. Tell that to you know, tell that to Puerto Rico, anywhere, Hawaii, tell Um, that to the south. There's there's lots of yeah, yeah, (laughs) tell that to the indigenous Australians. Um, the the, the, I've read a number of articles, uh, trying to break this down and. It seems to be quite loose. The Cairo Declaration is the only one of those documents that said all the territories Japan has stolen from the Chinese, such as Manchuria, Formosa and the Pescadores, shall be restored to the Republic of China. Now, I'd argue, A, that they didn't steal Formosa from the Chinese. It was granted to them under a treaty. But this document wasn't signed by Japan. It was a declaration of the allies of what would happen. Japan obviously didn't really, you know, wasn't present, didn't sign that. Same with the Potsdam Mm -hmm. Declaration that was signed between the allies. It said that Japan had to accept the Cairo Declaration, but again, Japan didn't sign that off. Um, Then in the instrument of surrender that was signed by Japan and the Allies, it didn't mention either the Cairo Declaration or Taiwan, only just that Japan accepted the conditions outlined in the Potsdam Declaration, which obviously indirectly links it to the Cairo Declaration. But again, there's this question of who's it returning it to, really? Yeah, it it is a minefield of possibilities, and I think it's designed to be that way so that there is no clarity. There is no real uh, legal, uh, definitive legal argument on who Taiwan uh, belongs to. Right. But yeah. the real question is, do you make agreements with governments or with nations? Because technically, the communists uh, never ruled over Taiwan, uh, and Taiwan's still around, so how can you be replaced? And so are these agreements between nations or governments? And so, yeah, I, I, you're right. It's, it's murky. It's complicated. And it sounds like for some people it was meant to be that way to give certain parties leeway. It sounds – but no, it strikes me as quite simple really though if you if you just tackle it, mm. tackle it from a purely, purely logical perspective. Japan returned Taiwan to China. The PRC okay. is the is you know according to the entire world except for a few islands in the Vatican and a couple of uh, South American countries <laughs> is the is the right. legitimate government of China. Ipso facto, yeah, Taiwan belongs to China. I mean, to me, it doesn't seem that confusing, really, at a purely logical level. Yeah, I mean, they say the PRC has never controlled Taiwan. But it would be like, imagine America lost Hawaii to Russia and then America had a civil war. And by the the time they rebuilt, they had two new political parties, one which had fled to Hawaii and one on the mainland. And they're like, okay, we want Hawaii back. 
Right. Like, but but you never controlled Hawaii. Like, but you're uh, still the USA. It, it's gotcha. still the same people. You're. It's just a yeah. different political party. So yeah. It, you throw in nationality and pride and everything else, and it gets murky and emotional. And this quick. argument that you can, you know, steal uh, a country and then. 70 years later, you own it because you stole it and you got away with it. I mean, look, and I know that's basically mm-hmm. the story of colonialism, right? That's why uh, white yeah. people believe <laughs> that they own enough. Australia. Well, we took it a couple hundred years yeah. ago and you didn't stop us, so therefore it's ours, really. I mean, I mean that, Duh. you know, I, I don't think that holds up uh, legally Today, you can't. If I if I come and steal your car and you don't take it back for a year, you can't say, "Well, I own it now because you didn't take it back." So you know, possession, etc., right. etc. Et uh, but if you do it with a flag, yeah, maybe you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very hard for me. Look, I, I have plenty of empathy for the for all oppressed and occupied people, and uh, uh, the Taiwanese people. It must be it must be confusing and scary to be uh, in the middle of all of this. But um, from a purely logical perspective, it seems to me that uh, the, the, the island belongs to China. Yeah, I, I think the only big difference between the people now is the people on Taiwan didn't go through the Cultural Revolution. So mm-hmm. culturally, um, there's a, a large divide between them that wasn't there before. But all of their ancient history is the same. Yeah. It's like saying Canadians, Australians, South Africans, we're all connected to the British Empire through, you know, we all had Shakespeare and Proust and those kind of ancient things to read on to create our cultures, but we've been separated for a while now. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they haven't been separated as long as we have, but they've had that big cultural shift, Mm. which didn't Mm -hmm. happen in Taiwan. Well, yes, but if we take Israel as uh, another example, when the Jews, who had all been in Europe and Russia for uh, 2,000 years, decided that the land actually belonged to them because 2,000 years ago, at least some of their uh, ancestors had lived there, the rest of the world went, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> you know, your people mm-hmm. haven't lived here for 2,000 years, but sure. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's yours. Yeah, yeah. Just be the the Vatican going. We don't like Jews. We don't like Muslims. Let's put them next to each other so they fight and leave us alone. (laughs) Brilliant plan. Yeah. So look, it's um, it's um, confusing and complicated, but I I think not really. I think if you put a if you put a bunch of ten year old kids in a room. And you explain to them the basics of what went down. They'd all go, "Yeah, well, it, it obviously belongs to China." Well, maybe they should do that. Maybe they should make children make most of the decisions. Oh, you might have a better running world. Well, not my. I would yeah, watch that. That's a, that's not, a show. Not I any would of my watch. kids, but other people's yeah. kids, I'm sure, make much better decisions than my kids. But the point is, as long as Taiwan holds out and stays or has the mentality that they are China, this situation isn't going anywhere, no matter logic or anything else. It's, you know, they're, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it pride? Is it whatever? But saving they face. see the world the way they see the world. Saving yeah, face. Yeah, but exactly I mean, right. Whether they hold out to still be China or whether they 
identify as Taiwanese, they're still going to have the the problem that China wants to reclaim them. And that will always be an issue. Good point. Well, guys, I just got a message uh, saying I'm running out of recording minutes for the month on Squadcast. So uh, I wow. guess uh, we've, we've, yeah, we've been going well. I actually have to get going as well. <laughs> I, I've got some work to do. I've got to go off and teach now. <laughs> Even though i got to go get high. So, yeah, yeah, we're all busy. James. We'll find a step. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> taking all this time to talk to us today. Uh, another plug for your podcast, oh, TaiwanThroughTime.com. Yes. Uh, Check it out, folks, yep. uh, if you awesome. want to know more about the history yeah, it's, of Taiwan. It's quite new. Uh, by the time this episode goes out, I think you'll only have four or five episodes. So it is quite new. Okay. Good. They can play along as you uh, move forwards. Thanks, mate. Take care. Uh, thanks for having me on. Okay.